Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, as we continue in our series to the Gospel of Luke, we are looking this morning at verses 33 through 36. The title of my sermon this morning is Out of Darkness, Light. And our key words for our worshipers in training are light, stand, and darkness. Now, several years ago, I was in West Virginia with a group of guys. I was preaching at a single men's retreat. And one of the activities we did was spelunking, or also known as caving. It was really fascinating to me. We got to uh, climb through small holes in the ground or just in the side of a hill, and we got into what we knew was going to be a large cave. We'd all climb into the entrance of the cave And we'd keep our lights off and we'd get far enough inside uh, so that when we got in there, there was no light shining in from the outside. Now, I've been in some dark places in my life, but I'm talking about an environment that is 100% void of any form of light whatsoever. At one point, I opened my eyes up really wide and I put my hand right in front of my nose and I did not see even a hint of a form of an object before me. And so we sat there for a little bit and gave ourselves time to adjust to the absolute darkness, and then we turned on our headlamps to descend into the great cave below us. Now, of course, when you know just how dark it is, you begin to have a great appreciation for how dependent upon light you are. I don't know why, but... For whatever reason, when I'm in situations like that, I tend to think about the worst possible scenarios. For whatever reason, it doesn't doesn't really freak me out, but I just get fixated on the worst possible outcome in a situation like that. So as I'm in this cave, I start thinking about how dark it is and what it would be like if we got about a half mile down into that cave, which is about as far as we were traveling, and then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, all of the batteries and all of our headlamps burned up And we had no more light. I know we didn't have replacement batteries. And I realized all along the way that we were having to walk on these super narrow trails. Sometimes going up against the edge of uh, a, a rock wall. So that we would not fall down into the aquifers that were running below. A good 30, 40 feet below us. So getting out was not as simple as just turning around and heading back in the direction that we came from. So to think about doing that in complete and utter darkness was about the worst possible situation I could imagine at that point. So in between correcting the tour guide about the age of the earth and all the rock formations we saw, I was conjuring up all of these ideas about what would happen if I was trapped a mile below the earth's surface in complete and utter darkness. Now, that's an absolutely helpless feeling. There are a few scenarios that I can think of worse than that. It really did give me a greater appreciation for light. Now, even if you've never been in a situation like that, at that level of darkness, all of us have had a great deal of experience with darkness and the joy of finding light. Like when you get out of bed in the middle of the night and for whatever reason, your leg extends with the greatest force you've ever exerted right into the side of a table or a dresser. 
You cannot wait to get to the light to see if your foot has actually exploded in the way that it feels it just did. Light is precious in those moments. We use expressions regularly dealing with light and darkness to help us understand the situations of life. And usually light is presented positively and darkness negatively. We might say things like, I wasn't understanding what was being said, but then all of a sudden a light came on. Or finally, I'm able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Or simply, I saw the light. Other circumstances sometimes compel us to say things like, I was left in the dark. So we all have a sense of what we're dealing with. It's a very simple illustration. The universal experience of light and darkness in the physical world becomes for us a doorway through which we are able to understand the light and darkness of the spiritual world. It's so simple in illustration. It really needs no explanation. Light reveals what darkness conceals. It's an illustration that is used regularly throughout the scriptures and an illustration that Jesus uses in the text we will be looking at this morning in the Gospel of Luke. So let's read these verses beginning in verse 33 of Luke chapter 11. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you Light. Now, it's important that we remember here that Jesus is still talking to the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. He just got done casting out a demon and rebuking the people who said that he did this by the power of Beelzebul. He rebuked those also who were seeking another sign. That will become important as we look at this passage. Now, what we learn from these religious leaders as Jesus is addressing them, that the issue is not whether or not there is light present. The light is most certainly present in the most dazzling, revealing display ever known to mankind. It is Christ himself. He is addressing the religious leaders with the reality that while they are surrounded by light, They continue to wander around in complete and utter darkness because they do not have eyes to see. They're spiritually blind. Their eyes are closed and there's nothing around them that they're able to see. Now, if you will, recall the fact that Jesus had performed yet another miracle and the instant reaction from everyone surrounding him is that he is in league with Beelzebul. They simply could not accept the fact that Jesus is God. They refused to accept it, and they called into question the legitimacy of what he was doing because he's calling into question the legitimacy of their religion. He called into question the legitimacy of their spirituality. 
He said they were phonies. He called them hypocrites. They were self-righteous. They were proud. They did not humble themselves. They did not recognize their own sin. They did not plea for mercy and grace. And thinking instead they could earn their way into heaven through their works and their outward morality. So they were unwilling to acknowledge the fact that all that Jesus was was by the finger of God because they would have had to accept Jesus' message, which was an absolute indictment against them. They were spiritually hypocritical. They were spiritually bankrupt. And so they were unwilling to accept that Jesus was doing all that he had done by the power of God. And so he was left to show them the irrationality and the folly of their damning argument against him. Now remember, we're dealing with people here who thought of themselves very highly. A people who did not have a great deal of real understanding of the spiritual insight that they've been given. They thought they were spiritual guides. People who had knowledge of the law of God and who knew the true and living God, but a people who knew God's will, knew God's ways according to his word, but would not walk in it. Jesus, in fact, comically called them blind guides leading blind people. Imagine that. Imagine going into a dark cave with a blind guide with no light. This is who Jesus is dealing with. They believe themselves to be light to the blind. And so when they wanted a sign from heaven to prove who Jesus was, back in verse 16, they were essentially saying, we don't have enough light for us to see what you're claiming. Show us more. Give us brighter light. And so Jesus calls them in verse 29, an evil generation. Why? Well, they weren't immoral externally. They were extremely religious. Their wickedness was based upon the insistence that they needed a sign from heaven. The brightest light that could ever be seen was all around them, and they couldn't see it. And so what are they doing? They're laying the responsibility for their unbelief at the feet of Jesus. And they're saying, you didn't make your point. It's not clear enough. We didn't have enough light. We came to the conclusion that we came to because that's all the information you gave us. In other words, Jesus, you're leaving us in the dark. They were at the bottom of the cave. And although they had headlamps that would fill the darkness with light, they never turned them on. And so they wandered around aimlessly trying to find their way out. But you see, the issue was never light. It was always an issue of sight. They were willfully blind because they hated Jesus. They, they abhorred everything that he had to say. And it's very much the same today, isn't it? Many will say we simply don't have enough information about Jesus. We don't know whether or not God even exists. And while the reality is that we simply need to look up and see the handiwork of God in every square inch of creation, there's plenty of light. It's all around us. There's very little sight. That's the problem. 
John records the words of Jesus in John chapter 3 when he says, The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Darkness is a sinner's close friend. So now Jesus continues to deal with their hardness of heart, their irrational conclusions, and the damning reality of their unbelief. Look again at verse 33. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Well, why would a first century Palestinian light a lamp in their home? Well, the answer is obvious. Jesus uses this as a very clear illustration for his point. Lighting an oil lamp in one's home was for the purpose of providing light to all who would enter. It's a laughable thought that they would light the lamp and then bring it up in the cellar or put a a basket over the top of it. Nobody does that. It completely defeats the purpose of having the lamp in the first place. Now, instead, they had high shelves around the house and they would light the lamp and they would place it up on the shelf so that the light would fill the room. Those who would enter might see the light. So what was Jesus's point? Surely he's not giving a lesson on proper lighting techniques. Well, as the people are demanding a sign from Jesus in their hearts, Jesus point now is, why would I hold back any evidence of who I am? In other words, I wouldn't claim to be God in the flesh and then leave it at that. The evidence is everywhere. It is not hidden. It is in plain view. They had plenty of light to see. They had more, remember from last week, than the people of Nineveh. They had more than the queen of the south. The people of Nineveh recognized their sin and they repented of their sin after a disdainful, non-compelling prophet who wanted to see all of them die told them, If they didn't repent, that God would destroy them. And they repented, every last one of them. They had far less light than the people of Jesus' day, and yet they repented. Likewise, remember Jesus taught that the queen of the south, she traveled many, many miles to hear from the wisest man on earth, King Solomon, and yet the people around Jesus, they didn't need to travel anywhere. They had the very manifestation of wisdom in their presence day in and day out. They had far more light than the queen of the south, and yet they denied it. Plenty of light, and yet no sight. Nobody turns on a light and then hides it. God has given plenty for them to see by. In John 9, 5, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. First John 1, John writes, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God dwells in unapproachable light and in his light we see true light. If God never turned on his light, we wouldn't know anything of him at all. We wouldn't understand anything about him. We wouldn't understand anything about his word. 
We wouldn't understand anything of his work throughout the history of the world. God turned on the lights. And what is that light? What is that lamp? Well, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word. What does John call Jesus in John chapter 1? Jesus himself is the word of God in the flesh. Your word is a lamp to my feet. Jesus is a lamp to my feet. Your word is a light to my path. Jesus is a light to my path. And there he stood in the flesh and all of the people around him were denying him. The light was on. The light was shining brightly. So you see, it wasn't that there wasn't any light. It was that they were unable to see. They were blind. It was a lack of sight. That's Jesus' next point in verses 34 and 35. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. So Jesus moves from the lamp to the eye, saying that the eye is the light of the body. It is the entry point of light into the body, right? The illustration is very simple. A person standing in a dark room with his eyes shut will not see very much. If the light is turned on and the person continues to keep their eyes shut, they are still in the darkness because the only point of entry for that light is through the eye. The light reaches the brain through the eyes. So Jesus explains, when you have a healthy eye, light enters and you're able to see. When you have an eye that does not work, light does not enter. It's as simple as that. Either you see or you don't. And it's dependent upon whether or not your eye is good or bad. And whether or not you see light is dependent upon whether or not your eyes are properly functioning. In other words, seeing depends on the condition of your eyes. So Jesus is stating the obvious. A blind man can stare at the sun all day long, but he will never see the light. Well, if a man who can see stares at the sun all day long, soon he will not be able to see the light. Likewise, there's a, a tremendous light all around those who are with Christ, and yet they cannot see. John 1 calls Jesus the true light. So you see, when, when someone is unbe in unbelief, the, the issue there is not that there's insufficient evidence or that God's light is too weak. God has illumined the whole world with the evidence of his own existence and the identity of his son. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In other words... Do you want evidence of God's existence? Then look up. Look around. 
Paul picks up on this very theme in Romans 1, and he's writing about those who in their unrighteousness and in their unbelief suppress the truth of what every man everywhere knows inherently to be true because all of creation is screaming that reality. He writes, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For all they, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Jesus himself says, light has come into the world, but men love darkness. When God turns on the lights, wicked men and women close their eyes. When our lives are characterized by sin, we become creatures of the darkness. The things that we fear the most are to be exposed because light lays bare the soul. So what do unbelievers do when the lights are turned on? The light of truth. They run and hide like every other nocturnal creature on the planet. So you see, in the final analysis, unbelief is not an intellectual problem. It's not because there's a lack of evidence or that God has not made himself clear. The problem is a moral problem. We don't want to believe because we know that if we acknowledge the godness of God and we acknowledge the deity of Christ, that means we have to repent. And therein lies the pain of our resistance. In spite of a world filled with the light of the majesty of God, we shut our eyes and our body remains in darkness. That's why Christians need not fear the preaching of the gospel to the world, especially the academic world that assumes itself to be so intellectually advanced. As Paul wrote, claiming to be wise... They became fools and their foolish hearts were darkened. So in order for us to proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that they are dead in their transgressions and sins, and they are commanded by God to repent of their sin and believe the gospel, I need not worry about engaging in conversations about string theory and black holes and time travel and alien life forms on the backs of crystals. I simply need to say the word of God says. And oh, how foolish that is to an unbelieving world. Remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 1, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now friends, I know there are some of you hearing my voice, either sitting here this morning or listening to this on a recording that say, I do not believe in the Christian message. It's foolish. Jesus, born of a virgin? Raised from the dead? That's foolish. 
And you see, the Bible speaks directly to your darkened heart and identifies your very condition. You have no light because you have been blinded by the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan. You are among the sons of disobedience who rebel and kick and fight against what is obvious. And in your own mind, thinking yourself to be wise, you are actually a fool. You who think you have the course of your life all charted out, living in sin, fulfilling the desires of your flesh, you think there's still time. You assume you're okay because you do not feel the heat from the flames of hell. But I assure you that the Bible makes clear you already have one foot in the grave and you are condemned already. Tomorrow is not a guarantee. And it is only by God's grace that any of us take another breath. Do not delay. Today is the day of salvation. And the call from God, the command of God, is that we repent of our sins and believe in the gospel. If you do not believe upon Jesus Christ, if you do not run to his arms of mercy and grace, if you do not confess your sin and receive his forgiveness for your sin, Jesus says of you that it would be better for you had you never been born. What awaits on the other side of death is so awful, so repulsive, so terrifying, it would have been better if God had never even made you than for you to live and to betray the Son of God. Do you, like Jesus' accusers, want a sign from heaven? Jesus says, I am the truth in the flesh, and yet you do not believe. Do you want a sign? Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of all wisdom, and you do not believe. You are not for me, therefore you are against me. You are surrounded by the brightest, most dazzling light, and yet you grope around in darkness because you are blind. Friends, I call on you to look to God's word and to see for yourself the condition of your own heart. Turn to Jesus. He is our only hope for salvation our only hope for everlasting life. And for you who think you're moral, for you who think you are right in the eyes of God because you have cleaned up the outside of the cup while the inside is still full of muck and mire, Jesus' word to you is in verse 35. Be careful lest the light in you is darkness. The world is full of people who claim to have seen the light. Eastern mystics have always claimed that they have reached enlightenment. And people all the time talk about their chi and their karma and their feng shui. All of it is darkness. Every false religion, every heresy, every system in the world that is a a departure from the word of God and the true religion of Jesus Christ in Christianity is darkness. What does every cult in the world claim to have that historic Christianity gets wrong? They claim that they have the true light. It's a special prophet. It's his or her writings. It's a special bit of knowledge that 
has long been lost and it's been found in latter-day revelation. It's a practice that has been neglected. It's a new, fresh revelation from God. This is not new. It started immediately with the founding of Christianity, with the false religion of Gnosticism, and it continues today in things like Mormonism, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Seventh-day Adventists. And it also continues in an even less obvious way in evangelical churches all across the world among a people who assume themselves to be righteous by their outward deeds when in fact they're full of darkness. And some of those people are sitting here this morning. This was Jesus' point among the religious leaders. They thought themselves full of light. They thought themselves pure and undefiled. But they were blind and they were in darkness. This is why Satan's greatest disguise is as an angel of what? Light. That's his greatest deception. To convince people that they have seen and received the light when in fact it is only darkness. The prince of darkness. And in this context in which we live, most people assume, most people around us assume they're in the light. It's sad, isn't it? I assure you there are some in here who assume they're in the light when in fact are full of darkness. Do you exhibit a life that shows forth the fruit of the Spirit? Are you making progress in holiness? Do you love Jesus and is your life marked by a thankful obedience to God's word? If not, there's a warning that Jesus gives to you. Be careful lest the light you assume you have is actually darkness. Listen, being a member of this church and being able to talk about theological truths and defend the scriptures, serving in various capacities in teaching or giving or providing in various ways, does not make you a possessor of the true light of Christ. The question is not, do you have an outward form of religion that looks good and fits in with the religious culture around us? The question is, do you truly have Jesus who is the light of the world? Have you been made new by the Holy Spirit? Have you truly repented of your sin? Do you delight in the law of God and seek to make much of him in your life day by day by day? Do you long for more of Christ? Do you grieve over your sins? Do you find hope and comfort and rest in his word? In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus has a letter delivered to the church at Laodicea. And he says this, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Friends, some of you who hear my voice are in desperate need of the salve of Christ to anoint your eyes so that you may see.
you are lost, you are blind, and you assume that you have light when there is nothing but darkness within. And while this may be a frightening word to all of us, Jesus is pushing us to keep our eyes clear if we are to truly rely upon Christ. Through prayer, through repentance, through the intake of his word, through reading it and hearing it proclaimed, turning from evil toward that which is good, flooding our eyes with light. We cannot shrink back from taking in the truth of God, seeing with the eyes of Christ. Brothers and sisters, you know the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, would turn green with envy at our spiritual privilege. Having the word of God, not only the word of God, but a mountain of resources to help us understand the word of God. And our message, our message isn't from a dirty and disheveled prophet, prophet fresh from the belly of a fish. But from Jesus, who burst out of the grave and gives resurrection life. We must each see to it that the light within us is not darkness. Jesus said himself, on the day of judgment, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In all of your activity in life, ask yourself, is it really about Jesus? Is it really about his kingdom or is it about you and your kingdom? We must take inventory of our lives lest we be cast into outer darkness forever and ever. Millions of people flatter themselves that their souls are not in a very bad state because they abstain from gross and glaring acts of wickedness and are decent and respectable in their outward lives. The number one answer to the question, are you safe, are you right with God, is, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. You see, they're deceived. They don't recognize the condition of their own hearts. Being a good person means nothing. Hell is full of so-called good people. They are, and some of you are, friends, neglecting the gospel when it's offered to you. Are you coolly sitting still year after year, taking no steps in the service of Christ? Your guilt is very great in the sight of God. To be exposed to the light and yet not walk in the light in itself is a very grievous sin. It is to treat with contempt and disdain and indifference the king of kings. Young people, teenagers, why do you not repent? Why do you continue to sin in unbelief? Year after year after year, you have heard the gospel proclaimed and you have seen the implications of God's word worked out in your homes among your family members. 
You've been exposed to all of the riches offered up to God's people. You have witnessed his transforming work in their lives, and yet you continue in rebellion against your creator. You are left without excuse. You are a cosmic criminal in bondage to your very own sin. Your only hope is to flee to Christ, to flee from the wrath to come. Now, Jesus' final exhortation is directly pointed toward the true Christian, the true believer in Christ, in verse 36. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. J.C. Ryle writes, The Christian who is satisfied to burn his candle alone is in a very weak and sickly state of soul. In Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus was giving a similar exhortation in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When the light of Christ has entered the soul of a person... His light shines so that all of the people may see our contribution to a lost and dying world. They will see your mercy to the widow, to the orphan, to the imprisoned, to the sick, to the dying. Not so that we will receive the applause of men, but so that God would be glorified. The reason we live, the reason we are in Christ, is that God be glorified. What is man's most important cause and pursuit in life? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is to be our single-hearted devotion, and it cannot be hidden from the world. Indeed, if we are in Christ, it will not be hidden from the world. Brothers and sisters, your neighbors, your co-workers, the people you spend time around regularly should not be shocked to find out that you're a Christian. A single-hearted devotion to Christ, shining the light of Christ to the world, is a heart which is not only changed and converted and renewed, but thoroughly and powerfully and habitually under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It is a heart that abhors all compromise, all lukewarmness, all halting between two opinions in religion. It sees one mighty object, the love of Christ dying for sinners. It has one aim, to glorify God and to do His will. It has one desire, to please God, to be commended by God. The psalmist wrote, one thing I desire, one thing I do, one thing I live for. And this is the kind of language that a heart devoted fully to God uses. One thing. Such were the hearts of Abraham and Moses and David and Paul. Such were the hearts of men like Augustine and Luther and Calvin and Spurgeon and Bunyan. And such are the hearts of some of you. We all struggle in our weaknesses and our infirmities. We are all going to err in sin in many ways. 
But may it be said of us that the light that is in us is unmistakable and inescapable because we have a single-hearted commitment to be men of women of Christ who, whose light shines as bright as the noonday sun. Brothers and sisters, those who are in darkness ought to be a little bit uncomfortable around us because there's a light in us that is dispelling the darkness of their lives as their sin is exposed. Some of you tell me of opportunities that you have in your workplaces or where you hang out regularly to just see what the light does in the darkness. If people with filthy language and they'll say something in front of you and then they'll come to you and say, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't mean to say that in front of you. What a grand opportunity to say, don't worry about me. There's a God in heaven and he is your judge. Repent and believe the gospel. May we be a people who reflect light on hundreds of whom we know nothing of. May we be a people whose whole body is full of light. And when the people of the world peer through the windows of our souls, they see our master and our Lord in every conversation and in every interaction. May we be a people filled with grace that shines forth in every single manner of behavior in our lives. May it be that our families, our, our co-workers, our, our friends, our neighbors, our enemies, all of them see the character of a Christian. And all of them must confess, whether they like it or not, that the light is in us and it is real and it is an influential thing. And may all of us enjoy the rich, warm reward of the inward experience of our soul that is lit by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have food to eat and we have drink to drink that the world knows nothing of. May we have a joy and a peace in believing Christ and his promises that even many Christians will forever be too shallow in their pursuits to obtain. When our faces are turned toward the sun, our hearts are seldom cold. See to it that the light in you is not darkness. Christ Jesus has died to set us free, to make us bearers of the greatest light. And if your whole body is full of life, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as a lamp when its rays give you light. And you and I together with all the saints of God, by the power of His Word, will continue to destroy, will continue to lay waste to the kingdom of darkness as God sets captives free, as He breaks the chains of sin and death, bringing His people into His marvelous light, that His glory would shine brightly now and forevermore. Let it be said of us, Ephesus Church, that we are a people of the light, the light of the world, the light that dispels the darkness, the light that is never hidden, a light 
that shines forever bright. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the light, the light of Christ, the light of your word, the true light that has come into the world to dispel darkness, to cast upon us the reality of our sinful, depraved hearts that we are forced to reckon with the reality that we need a Savior, that we need redemption, that we need to be given eyes to see because otherwise we are blind. We wander around in complete and utter darkness. God, I pray, oh, I pray that those who would hear your word this morning who are in the darkness would repent, would believe that they would walk in the light. God, that they would stop running away from the light, that they would find more darkness. Lord, encroach upon the darkness of their hearts with your great light, your blinding light, that they would on their knees say Christ is the Son of the living God. And God, for those who are here who assume they have the light and yet continue in darkness, help them to see the worthlessness of their deeds apart from Christ. Those who continue to walk in doing certain things that They might proudly proclaim that they were able to do them. And yet there is no godliness within them. May the light expose that darkness in their hearts. For those of us who are in Christ, we pray, O God, that our light would shine brightly, that we as your people would be a people with a bright, ever-dazzling light unto the world. And that you would be pleased to use us to light the darkened world. To expose the darkness. That a people who are our neighbors and a people in the nations would be able to open their eyes from the darkness and see for the first time the true light, which is their salvation in Jesus Christ. God, would you do that with us, through us, to us, that you would be glorified. Give us that single-hearted devotion. Give us the great desire to see you glorified, that we might enjoy you forever and ever. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.